0: Several weeks ago, I shared a story of a lady by the name of Irina Irina Sindler. She played a part uh, of helping rescue Jewish children out of a Warsaw ghetto uh, from Nazi reign. She would rescue these children, take them back to protect them with the goal of reuniting them with their parents, should their parents survive the war, and if not, to help them find adoptive families. Um, she wasn't the only woman, we know this, uh, who did amazing things during this war. There is another lady that not many talk about. Her name is Helena Jacobs. Uh, she worked with a, an attorney in Berlin in the 1930s. And this uh, attorney had been uh, racially persecuted from national socialists who had taken control during that time. And so she helped that attorney and his family flee Germany in 1939. And she joined what was known as the confessional church. And she began to help arrange through false identification papers. She began to help Jewish people in Germany hide. She would find hiding places for them. She would, often, uh, she would open up her own ap- apartment for Jews to hide in and to find freedom. Of course, you know, being a German, she felt like it was still her obligation to help the Jews because she felt what was being done to them was wrong. But she also risked a lot because what she was doing was very illegal. And she was eventually caught and she was put in prison for it. And the two and a half years that she served in prison actually kept her protected during the war. But there's an author, a Jewish rabbi that quotes Helena Jacobs in a, a work of his. And he quotes her saying, this work taught me that there were four parts to play in the war. Perpetrator, victim, bystander, and rescuer. She said, there are still four parts to play in life, and it leads to a painful inquiry. Would I, could I, have I done what they did? More to the point, what is it that I'm doing now? And she said, rescue is, thank God, not always necessary, but to be a caring person is how rescue starts. Today, we must listen to the cries of suffering around us and respond. We must also listen to the cries of hatred that threaten to destroy our society and act. It's a powerful statement from this woman who did a powerful work. And you think about those four words she said, those four places that we can stand in life in situations, perpetrator, victim, bystander, or rescuer. Which one do you want to be a part of? Hopefully, it's the one of rescuer. It's a powerful way to be. Today, we're going to start a series. We're, gonna, we're calling it Her Story. We're going to look at uh, some stories from women in the Bible. And no, I am not going to try to mansplain these women's stories to you. Okay? That's not my goal. That's not what I'm going to do. We're going to dig into these stories from these ladies of how God used them and worked through them. And we're going to see their stories. They're part of the gospel story. There's four stories from four different women in the word of God. One of those is a lady by the name of Lydia. We're going to look at her in the last week of the series. Lydia was, uh, she became a follower of Christ after hearing the gospel of Christ preached from Paul. And it was through Lydia and her conversion that, uh, that the church movement began to spread through her home region. So we'll get to hear her story and, and how God used her through that. We're going to look in week three, week three is a very special week, uh, we're going to get a glimpse of the story of Esther, but we have one of our very own that's going to share her story uh, in week three on May 21st. It's a powerful story of how God is working through her and using her and uh, even through situations that she would not have chosen to be in. You may know this lady. Her name is Rhea Van Outen. She's a part of our family. But she is going to stay, share her story, which is very similar to Esther, about God is using her in such a time as this. In week two, next week, it's Mother's Day weekend. Everybody got that? You know that? We're one week away from Mother's Day. Hey, Uh, so that all rhymed. I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, uh, so on Mother's Day, uh, the 14th, we're going to look at the story of Ruth, right? Ruth is a very powerful story. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite woman. That was not a a, a godly place. Ruth was a Moabite woman that came to follow God because of her Jewish mother-in-law, Naomi. And we're going to see through her story that God is always at work. Even when we don't realize it, God is always at work. But today, we're going to look first at a story that's very similar to Helena Jacobs and how it goes through and how, it, how things play out. We're going to look at the story of Rahab. Maybe you've heard of Rahab before. We're going to look at the story of Rahab. And Rahab's story is a story of rescue, right? Now, we find Rahab's story in the book of Joshua. It's Joshua chapter 2. But for us to understand where we are in the history of all this, we need to kind of get a, a, a quick recap Moses has passed away. Moses has died. You've probably heard of Moses. Um, And God is now leading Joshua to lead the people into the land that he had originally promised to them. All right? This was, uh, the Bible calls it a land flowing with milk and honey. Basically what that means is it's a very, very prosperous land, flourishing land. And the Bible calls it the promised land because it's the land that God had promised to them from the very beginning. That's why it's called that. So... In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, we actually see this account in history where Moses had gathered 12 different spies, uh, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And he told them, all right, guys, you're going to go in and you're going to scout out the land. You're going to let us know what we're up against. Right. So they go in, they scout it out, they come back and they're talking about how fruitful it is, how great it is, how much there is and all how big the fruit is and all this kind of stuff. But then they say, 10 of them say, but we're like grasshoppers compared to the people that live there. These guys are huge. There's no way that we can take these people. And, um, but there were two guys, two, that actually believed and had faith to believe the promise of God and said, no, we can take these people. They were Caleb and Joshua. But Caleb and Joshua, even though they were saying as much as they could, we can do this. This is the promise of God. We can do this. Everybody else was saying, if you don't be quiet, we're going to stone you. So Caleb and Joshua were quiet and they stopped, you know, they kind of pulled back and God let them then have the joy of wandering even longer in the desert. And while they're wandering, 10 of those 12 spies end up dying before they ever get to go in the promised land. The two spies that end up surviving are the two guys that actually had faith to go in Caleb and Joshua. And so now as the time has come, God has taken Moses and Moses has passed away. And now God is telling Joshua, it's time to go to the promised land. You're going to lead the people into the promised land. Now, this is Rahab's story. It's not Joshua's story, but we need to understand the context of the whole story to get the full benefit of Rahab's story. You with me? I think so. All right, here we go. Joshua chapter two, verse one is where we are. Joshua chapter two, verse one. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. Okay, It's also another way of saying Shittim, the area of Shittim. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there that night. All right, let's stop. Don't freak out. We're not going to stop at every verse, all right? But um, but they, they they go into this place. Now, it's interesting to me that Joshua decides he's going to do this secretly. Did you catch that? The last time when Moses sent spies, everybody knew 10 spies were going. And this time, Joshua sends just two spies because last time only two believed. It's very interesting to me. I don't know if it's just lesson learned and he does this, but he's like, all right, we're going to 007 this mission and we're just going to send two in, right? And they go, and these people are from the land of Shittim, okay? Now, what's interesting about that is Shittim is the place where uh, Israel fell into even more immorality and even more idolatry. Because it's in that land where the Moabites lived. They were not godly people. And Israel men were, fell into sexual temptations from many Moabite women. You can find that story in Numbers chapter 25, And so you got these two spies that are from that region of Shatim, and they're going in to scout out. And the first place they stop is a place of a woman by the name of Rahab, who is considered a prostitute. Right? Why? Why stop there? Well, it's likely that they go there one, because it's a pretty good place to be in cover. And most people aren't going to question why guys are going into this prostitute's home. They're going to kind of have an idea. So they can, maybe they think they can go in there without being noticed. Another thing is very conveniently placed on the wall where they can easily escape if they need to do that, which we're going to see in a moment. Now there's some throughout history that have tried to kind of tame who Rahab was. And they say she was just an innkeeper. She wasn't a prostitute. The problem with that is that scripture all through it, when Rahab is mentioned, except for one place is called a prostitute. right. So it's, it's pretty evident that It's either who she is or who she was at some point in her life. Okay. But here's the thing with her being a prostitute and God using her story that does not tarnish the righteousness of God. It actually magnifies the mercy and the grace of God and who he uses. Now consider that if she was, this was a former way of her life and she's cleaning up her life, so to speak, you know, Scholars point to the fact we're going to see in just a moment that she hides the spies in these mounds of flax that she has on her rooftop. And flax was what was used by industrious women. They would use these to, uh, to in their work. They would spin and they would weave and they would create things uh, with that. It's, it's, when you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, she is a woman that's described as using these types of things. So let's say Rahab is trying to clean up her life Well, I think she makes a pretty powerful statement because in a moment we're going to see an incredible statement of faith from her, but we're going to see that it's in this moment that Rahab seems to be saying that I believe the God of Israel can help me change my life better than I can do it on my own. And that's the gospel. She's going to put herself in a place that positions her faith in God more than she's positioning her faith in her own ability to do any kind of work to change your life. And it's that decision that pivots Rahab's story and turns Rahab's story into one that is true life change and freedom. So let's keep going in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, go to verse 2. All right, let's keep going. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know uh, where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Well, actually, the author says, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went out looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Now, here we have a situation where Rahab does something immoral in order to do something moral. Is that right? It's a question we should ask. It's a question we're going to look at. Her act of protecting these spies, it is a huge demonstration of her faith. Because what she's doing right now is she is, by hiding these files, is expressing a belief that the God of Israel is going to allow Israel to come in and take their home and to take their land. And she's made a choice in this moment to trust God more than she trusts her earthly king and the king of Jericho. But did God condone the way Rahab did it? I don't think it's good theology. and I don't think it's a good explanation or teaching to argue for her in this case for lying. Because if we do that, it's pushing us towards the line of justifying evil in the name of God. And we should never justify evil in the name of God. I mean, when we look at the story of David, if you know the story of David, King David, you know that David committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. You may know that in order to try to cover that up, he made sure that her husband was put on the front lines during war, essentially to have him killed. So that's murder. So David does uh, commits adultery, he commits murder. If we look at that, we don't condone that, right? We're like, that's wrong. We immediately say that's wrong. David should not have done that. In fact, God does not appreciate that he sends the prophet Nathan to speak to David to give him a word from God and Nathan uh, and David ends up repenting because of what he's done so they realize this is wrong but God still uses it because from the birth through uh, David and Bathsheba comes a child that they name Solomon and Solomon becomes a part of the genealogical line of the Messiah Jesus Christ. It's through his line that it leads to the birth of the Savior. So we look at that and we say, well, that was adultery, that was murder, that's definitely wrong. Rahab, Javen Rahab just told a little lie, right? It was just a little lie. But here's the thing. Biblically, sin is sin. We are the ones that put weight on various sins. We are the ones that consider this sin bigger than this sin. God doesn't do that. In the eyes of God, sin is sin. When you look at this situation, lying from Rahab, adultery and murder from David, they are all things that are not condoned by God. They all clearly violate the way God wants us to live our life. And if you do think about Rahab, and if she is coming out of a lifestyle or even still in it, lying is probably second nature for Rahab, right? It's something that she does to often cover up what she's doing in real in, in her life. But if she is trying to change her life, we can look at this from the perspective that Paul talks about in the New Testament where he says, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I still do. Maybe this is where Rahab is. But here's what we need to know. Untruth, lies, cannot be vindicated simply because they play in a a close, they have a close tie to the overall result. Instead of looking at it and saying that God blessed Rahab because she lied, we look at it and say, God blessed Rahab in spite of her lying. Because here's the thing. God does not use unholy acts to fulfill his will. He does not do that. But what he does use is imperfect people. And thank God for that. And the fact that He will use imperfect people shows the power of His grace. Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when... Jericho is conquered. You will let me live along with my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all their families. Verse 14. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. She told him, escape, the hill country. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. That's in this moment that Rahab opens her heart and she shares this incredible statement of faith. It's one of the longest uninterrupted statements of a woman in the Bible. But she explains in this moment her motive in hiding these spies and she expresses to them her hope and her fears in the most unlikely place the most unlikely woman who had heard about God was making a choice to trust in this God that she had only heard about Rahab is an example of faith comes by hearing. She had only heard, but she chose to act. Never experiencing the realness of God personally, only hearing. And she chooses to have faith in that God. She's an example of what the author of Hebrews says, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. She is an example of what James, the brother of Jesus, said that faith and works must act together. Because through her actions, she reveals her beliefs. Her faith was shown genuine by the way she worked and the way she moved and what she did. And in doing that, she revealed what she was hoping for. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, says about Rahab in James chapter 2. Verse 25, he says, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions. When she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Verse 26, just as the body's dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. But Javon, I thought we can't be saved by works. Right, you can't be. But when you are saved and you experience the salvation salvation, grace of Jesus Christ, and you believe in him and you let him change your life. That's the key. Your works begin to demonstrate that your acts begin to demonstrate that the way you live is demonstrated. It demonstrates your faith. And that's what Rahab is doing. Rahab was willing to risk everything she had for a God. She had only heard about never truly experienced. That's genuine faith. And that's faith in action. She brought faith and God gave her freedom. Rahab had a choice in this moment. She could have allowed herself to say, I'm going to just stay fortified in my my home that's built in this ginormous wall. And I'm just going to stay fortified in this and trust my king and trust our land. Or she could choose, and she did choose, to trust a God who she had heard about moving all around her and say, I want to be a part of God's movement and I want to let God move through me. Rahab was used by God and became a part of the move of God, not because she deserved it, but because she made herself available. She was willing to be a participant in the work of God. She saw the favor of God that she did not deserve and God showed her mercy. And look at what the spies tell her. Start at verse 17. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath that we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet robe hanging from the window through which you let down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, all your your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility of their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your turn, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet robe hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, reported to Joshua all that had happened to them the Lord had given Uh, The Lord has given us the whole land, they replied. And they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. And they're terrified because of God and what he can do. The spies make it very clear that if there's no cord hanging from that window, no scarlet cord hanging from that window, that they cannot assure her salvation. And their instruction is for them to remain in that house while they are taking the city. Now think about this. If you know the story, the Israelites eventually do come back. You see it in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua chapter 7. They come back. They go through instruction from Joshua, which comes from God, that they're going to march around the city, and they're going to do this seven days. And on the seventh day, they're going to march around seven times. And I can just visualize and, and, and see when they come to this place and they come back to Jericho, Rahab and her family sitting in their home, looking out of that window and watching the people march by. Every day for seven days. And watching them march by seven times. The whole time holding on to the hope that they had given her. And I can think about the Israelites as they're marching. Looking up to that window and seeing this scarlet cord hanging down from that window. And the whole time thinking, this is the woman that helped our spies. And they would have been given strict orders. Do not let anything happen to them. Because they are covered to the symbol of that scarlet cord hanging from their window. Very similar to what had taken place with their ancestors many years ago when they were in Egypt. And God was sending the last plague and He told them, when you have this Passover meal tonight, you need to take the blood from the lamb that you kill and you need to paint that blood over the doorpost of your home and you will have mercy pass over your home. And you will not experience loss. So they covered their doorposts in the scarlet blood of the lamb, just like Rahab and her family covered themselves with this scarlet cord hanging from a window. And we see that when they departed, she did it immediately. She hung that scarlet cord and she left it hanging immediately. She didn't wait on them to see were they really coming back. She did it believing they were. She put her faith into immediate action. And can you imagine Rahab running and finding her family and saying, guys, you have got to come. I'll explain everything when you get to the house, but you've got to come back to my home now. And then telling them all about what she had just experienced, what had just taken place, and the hope that they had been offered. And that word that's used for thread, that when it talks about the scarlet cord or the scarlet thread... That word is also translated in other places throughout Scripture. We're going to see it in a couple of weeks. It's translated hope because that was their hope. Their hope was in that promise that they had been given, and just like Egypt gathered in their homes under the hope of the scarlet blood that was put over the doorposts, Rahab and her family was gathering in her home over the hope from that scarlet cord that was hanging from their window. Today, we live our life under the hope that is given to us by the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. And we invite everyone we can to come in and live under that same living hope. Rahab's story is a story of rescue. And her story is the gospel story. She received a promise, and the promises of God are better than the promises of sin. And when... Through her faith, it led her to confession. That confession led her to salvation. And Rahab received a pardon. She was going to be rescued. And even in the middle of all the chaos of the Israelites storming Jericho, Rahab and her family was able to sit in her home with the hope that that pardon had given her. And then Rahab receives a prize that we'll eventually see years later. See, Rahab marries a guy by the name of Salmon. Imagine being named after a fish. I don't know if when he was born he had a little pink hue to his skin, his complexion, I don't know. So he's Salmon, but she marries Salmon. Salmon. Salmon was the prince or captain of the tribe of Judah. Judah was God's army of praise. Because that's how God fought his battles. He would always send the the army from Judah out first, and they would sing the praises of God before they ever went into battle. So the prostitute becomes a believer and becomes the wife of the prince of Judah. But watch this, because her story doesn't end. Matthew chapter one. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So now we're into the tribe of Judah. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, who we're going to talk about next week. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And to keep going, David was the father of Solomon. Genealogies were huge in Jewish culture and in Jewish nation. That's why you see them all throughout Scripture. And when you're trying to read the Bible and you get to those genealogies, you're like, seriously? But they're important because even when we, this series we did recently, we talked about in Ezra and Nehemiah. And we see genealogies in there. It's important because they needed to know who was returning back to the homeland. Because they needed to know what role each family member played according to each tribe. Judah Judah was a tribe of praise. And so, despite there being six centuries of vacancy on the throne, they knew that the Messiah would have to be a royal descent, and that the Messiah would have to be a descendant of David. So that the Messiah would essentially be Jewish. So Matthew writes out this genealogy and links Jesus to Israel's greatest king David, and links him to the founding father of the nation of Israel, Abraham, through the lineage of Jesus's legal earthly father, Joseph, who was already pledged to be married to Mary, who, Jesus, who God chose, to birth the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because God knew they were already pledged to be married. And this would be Jesus' legal right to the throne of David. The prostitute becomes a believer, becomes the wife of a prince of Judah, and becomes a part of the line of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And did you notice, too, that when Matthew wrote this genealogy, it's the only time that Rahab, in Scripture, when she's talked about, in Joshua chapter 2, in Hebrews 11, in James chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 1, when it's linked to Jesus, is the only time Rahab is not referred to as a prostitute. That's because when you're connected to Jesus, He knows you for your purpose. He doesn't know you for your past. And God has a purpose for each and every one of you. Rahab's story is a story of rescue. And Rahab's story is the gospel story. And your story can be the gospel story, a part of the gospel story too. We've received a promise. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that anyone who what, believes in him will be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ, confess him as Lord, let him change your life. There is no wall too thick in your life that the scarlet love of God cannot reach it. It can keep God out. His death and His resurrection has defeated the curse of sin and death and the evil that comes with it. We just have to receive it and walk in it. Listen, after Jesus fed the 5,000, the people were all gathered around. They were like, Jesus, we want to do those things. We want to do great works of God. And Jesus looked at them. We see it in John's words in John chapter 6, verse 29. He says, you want to, you want to do it? He said, this is the work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Because really and truly, the people around that time weren't necessarily wanting to believe he was the Messiah. They just wanted what he was giving them. Jesus doesn't want you just to want what He can give you. He wants you to believe He is the Son of God, the one who truly died on a cross and was resurrected for your sins that can ultimately change your life. But just like with Rahab, it all started with her putting her faith into action. Jesus says, "You you want to do work? Have faith and believe in Him. Put your faith in Him, and then see what He will do through you." When they receive a, when you receive that promise, you receive that pardon, there's no chaos in life that can rob you of the peace that comes from that. and There's no chaos in life that can rob you from the promise of his eternal prize with him in heaven. When you're freed from a life of sin and death, listen, you can't help but be married to praise. Praise becomes a part of your life. And you begin to realize that your purpose is bigger than your past. God doesn't want to just bless you with his promise, his pardons, and his prize. He wants to use you to bless others because he has a purpose for you. Rahab's story included her family and it included generations to come. Your story can too. It can include your family and it can include many generations beyond you. God wants to rescue you and he wants to use you to rescue others. Will you let God do that? Will you let Him rescue you? Will you let Him work through you to rescue others? Stand with me this morning. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word PRAYER to 803-803.